morning, everybody. How's everyone this morning? Someone put a quarter in her? I don't know. Just Wow. Everybody say good morning to Connie or Monica or whomever. It's a funny story because we knew her growing up as Monica, and now she decided to be like Connie, so... But it's good to see them this morning. Good to see everybody online. Everybody, I know you can't see them, but say good morning to our friends online. Oh, that was horrible. Say good morning to our friends online. That's awesome. See, we love you guys. Thank you for being there. Well, we are going to... Um, yeah, I don't know about you, but morning, morning. Oh, my gosh. It's been a busy weekend. You know, yesterday I was thinking there was, well, we had a season, there was a time where um, when there would be uh, death in the family or a death, um, you know, an extended family, the, the church would go ahead and, and put on the reception. And yesterday we had a celebration of life for Chris Gracie's mom. And uh, it was so, it was so cool. And not only did the family show up, but uh, the church was kind enough to to throw the reception for the family. And they show up, and they eat, and they move on, and uh, they have really nothing to to worry about. And that was like that's old school for me. That's that's who we are. That's our DNA. You know, we give it away. And people were amazed. They were like what we had nothing we don't have to do anything and it's like no we just want to love on the family and yesterday we got a chance and there was some you know that you know if you were here uh, setting up and working and cooking and all that stuff and we wanted to say thank you and uh, again it's an honor to be able to serve uh, speaking of serving this coming Saturday um, we are going to have the celebration of life service for Kathy Parati. And uh, same kind of deal. We're going to invite their families. Um, you're all welcome if you uh, wanted to come. I, I don't even remember the time on Saturday. Is it 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock? Anne-Marie says 1. Gotcha. So 1 o'clock, um, and then the, believe the, the service will start at 3, and then there will be food afterwards. We just want to just love on the family, love on Dave, and uh, yeah, it's what we do. We come together, we circle the wagons, and it's good, right? So Father, help, help us this morning. I know that some of us are weary just from the good. We thank you that you've called us to, to serve and uh uh, do it with love. And we just thank you that uh, we're a community that when needed, uh, Lord, you've called us to not only circle the wagons, but to, to really be an extension of your love to them. So today, give us, um, give us strength. Um, let us be able to sit and rest today. Jesus, we love you. 
We love you with all of who we are. We love you that you're merciful and graceful and that you meet us exactly where we're at. So thank you for that. We want to lift up your name in praise and with our music. We're going to worship your name with the message from Scott today. And we're worshiping you as we gather in fellowship in this community. So thank you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So if you feel like getting to your feet, you can stand. We're going to put the words up on the screen or whatever way you find comfortable. But let's praise him.
So good morning, Vineyard. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're glad you're here. Bless you, bless you, and bless you all online who are joining us. We're glad you're here, too. I have good news. I have good news. Spring's coming. You know how I know? They're racing at Daytona as we speak. The Rolex 24-hour is racing, so spring's a-coming, folks. So keep your heads up, keep your chins up. Spring's going to be here shortly. All right, we are continuing our sermon series in Genesis. The patriarchs and Pastor Scott is going to bless us with the message of family legacy in Genesis chapters 25 through 31. So follow along. Uh, also, for those of you, many of us here who help out at the Food Resource Center, you get Monday and Tuesday off because it's a fifth. So uh, no Food Resource Center this week or packing boxes on Monday. As Jim uh, talked earlier, uh, we're going to get to bless again another family, uh, Dave Parati, lost his, lost his wife, Kathy, and we are so sad to... to to have Kathy gone, and next next Saturday we will also be doing a celebration of life in honor of Kathy, and that will be from uh, 1 to 4 here at the Vineyard. Service is at 2, okay, and then the food and stuff will be after, but you get a chance to come by and, and uh, give your condolences. Oh, there is a membership class. You can come and be a part of the Vineyard. Uh, next Sunday, February 5th, following the service. If you're interested in knowing more about Vineyard, if God's calling you to membership, check it out. Again, it'll be from 11.30 to 1 right after the service. Mark your calendars. Sunday, February 19th is our 2023 annual meeting, a meeting we following the church, and it's a potluck, and we make this meeting go whippity-whippity-whip, so you don't have to sit there and think you're going to be bored forever. Uh, we do a nice job of... Hitting, hitting the high points, let you know what we're doing, uh, but not uh, stretching it out too long. So come and be a part of what we did last year, but even more so what we want to do this year and great things God is calling us to. All right, we have a meaning of marriage class coming up. It starts Saturday, February 25th through April the 1st. It's modern culture would have you believe that everyone has a soulmate, that romance is an important part of successful marriage, and that marriage does not mean death tell you part, but merely as long as my needs are being met. And when serious differences arrive, divorce is the best solution. According to the Bible, all of these modern assumptions miss what marriage is all about. In this six-session video-based Bible study, Tim and Kathy Keller, and we've done a bunch of stuff with Tim Keller, so we know he is an awesome teacher, will draw a profound portrait of marriage between the pages of Scripture, points us back to the relationship between God and man, the result is a vision for marriage that is refreshingly frank and unsentimental, yet hopeful and beautiful. This study is for Anyone from singles to couples considering marriage, those who have been married recently or a long, long, long time. So come and be a part of that. There'll be some more information on that next week. And a reminder to uh, be giving your gifts. And I want a special reminder. Uh, this is my check for the building fund. So remember that we have pledged. Uh, we have lots and lots of things that... We needed to do around the building. We got, you know, part of our uh, drive paved, and so that 
took a big chunk of what we already have, but so we still need giving. So please uh, give your tithes and offerings. And again, uh, if you can help out special for the building fund, we would appreciate that. And with that, again, hopefully we're uh, getting towards that checkered flag on winter and the green flag on spring. So God bless. Scott will be up in a sec here. Good morning. <clears throat> it's a joy to be with you and a uh, joy to bring God's Word today. I want to take a moment of privilege and uh, say happy birthday to my wife. Uh, she had one of those uh, mile marker birthdays this, this past Wednesday. Ends in a zero. Um, that's, all, that's all I'll say. Uh, and uh, uh, she was surprised Friday morning when she went to have breakfast with her daughter. Uh, suddenly, her sister and two of her nieces, from, uh, all three from Nashville, uh, had come up late Thursday night, and they were there to surprise her, and they've been going nonstop the whole weekend. And uh, the, so happy birthday, Lori. Darlena, nice to see you. <coughs> As we were singing that last song, um, I was reminded of uh, all the words are, are good in that song, uh, but the two that really struck me this morning is my God. It's, it's, he's my God. He's yours too, but important for me is to know that he's my God and that... Uh, He's the controller and the forgiver and the lover of my life in so many ways, and he is my God. Uh, and I count of the privilege and a responsibility to worship him and to love him and to be his guy. And uh, I hope that you feel the same way about your God, who you can also call as you refer to God as my God, uh, because he is yours as well. No, not Scott's God. Well, he is Scott's God, but he's also Brent's God, and he's he's every and he's Connie's God, and and he's all of our gods. All right. So we are going to continue in this uh, series on the patriarchs, um, and we've called today family legacy. Uh, you know, the patriarchs were related to each other. If you hadn't caught that, it's not like they were elected and and uh, had a, a new a new person each time uh, who had nothing to do with the old person it was a family legacy uh, and it started with with God uh, calling Abraham so um, I'm going to read the scripture I'll have a prayer and then we'll uh, get into this uh, the the thoughts about Jacob and Esau today 
So Genesis chapter 25, I'm going to read the, read the whole chapter. Uh, if you don't have it memorized, you can... Uh, I don't have it memorized. Um, but you can follow along with part of it in the, in the bulletin. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, you can follow along in the whole thing. Or it'll be on the screen as well. The death of Abraham. Abraham had taken another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him... Zimran, Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan, and the descendants of Dedan were Asherite, the Asherites, the Leshushites, and the Lem, Lemuelites, Mites. If you want to do better than that, you're welcome to. <coughs> The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abida, and Eldanah, and these were all the all these were descendants of Keturah. Now, it's interesting to note that Abraham had a, had a, had, an, had another wife, and he had all these kids and grandkids and all that. But the very next sentence talks about the family and the, and the legacy that. Abraham realized Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac, who was the child of the promise. But while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines, and he sent them away from his son Isaac to the land to the east. Abraham lived 175 years. Anybody close to that yet? <coughs> Anybody halfway there? Yeah. All right. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre and in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who lived near Beer Lahai Roy. Now you remember Abraham had two sons. He had Isaac, who was the son of the promise. But before that, uh, perhaps because of impatience, uh, he had another son from Hagar, Ishmael. And so Ishmael's sons. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Ishmael, whose Sarah's slave Hagar, the Egyptian, bore to Abraham. These are the names of Ishmael in the order. These are the sons of Ishmael listed in the order of their birth. Nebioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, Kedar, Abdil, Mibsan, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jetur, Nafish, and Kadima. So if you're thinking of, gee, if I could just find the right name for my next child, uh, there's a list. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these are the names of the 12 tribal rulers according to their settlements and camps. Ishmael lived 137 years, he breathed his last and died, and he was gathered to his people. 
His descendants settled in the area from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt, as you go toward Asher. And they lived in hostility toward all the tribes related to them. Hmm. And then it tells us about Jacob and Esau. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac. Isaac, or Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah's daughter of Bethel, the Aramean from Padam Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, became pregnant. The babies, plural, the babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. And by the way, Jacob means heel grabber. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. And Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. And may God bless the reading of his word in our hearing today. Let's pray together. Gracious God, it's um, hard sometimes to think that events that happened so long ago uh, have anything to do with us, but uh, we believe that your scripture always has something to do with us. And so as we look at this family legacy, as we look at these two sons, Jacob and Esau, part of the family of the promise, we pray that you, you would give us understanding today, that your spirit would be at work in our hearts and our minds and in our church, and that you would bless us as we think on these things today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now let me just give you a little FYI. Uh, next week, Brent will deal w- more with Jacob, uh, particularly Jacob's dream. You've probably heard about Jacob's dream. 
and the great wrestling, the greatest wrestling bout in all of history, when Jacob wrestles with God. And and in order to be fully prepared for next week, I encourage you to read Genesis 25 through 31 this week. Um, and uh, I'm going to be talking about tw- 25 in particular today, and we'll mention a few things out of the chapters that follow. But uh, read read those chapters this week, and you'll be uh, come with bated breath and anticipation to hear what uh, Brent says next week. All right, well, let me give you a, a recap of this family legacy. Abraham, uh, who we first are introduced to in Genesis chapter 12, um, when God gave Abraham a promise. And there's, you might say, well, Abraham must have been a very special guy for God to single him out and give a promise that you're going to be the father of a great nation and all the world's going to be blessed by you. Well, we don't know that. Uh, There's nothing that indicates that there was anything special about Abraham at that point, except that God said, you're the one. Um, and that's interesting for us because sometimes we think, well, I'm, I'm nothing special. And when I look in the mirror, I uh, confirm that. Scott, you're nothing special. But God said, you're the one. I've got plans for you. And God says that to each of us, I believe. So God said to Abraham, you're going to be the father of a great nation. And interestingly, at that point, Abraham was old and had no children. But God said, you're going to be the father of a great nation. And then in chapter 15, God makes a covenant or makes a promise with Abraham and then Abraham taking things into his own hand because God was really slow on the draw, uh, he thought. So he has a son by his, uh, made, made by his wife's maidservant, uh, and that son is Ishmael. He's the firstborn to Hagar, but he's not a believer. And <clears throat> I'm going to use this phrase today, Ishmael drops the baton. And if you think about a, a, a race between, with runners in a, and the team runs, one person runs, and as they get to the point where the next person is waiting, they have a baton in their hand. And one of the crucial points in, in that race is whether they hand off the baton to the next person. And if they drop it, there's no chance of, of them winning. Um, and in a very real way, Ishmael drops the baton. He is not a believer, and he drops the baton. And Ishmael's family, uh, we read all those names, and Nabioth, the firstborn, and, and all those other guys. His descendants settled in the area from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt, as you go toward Asher. And they lived in hostility toward all the tribes related to them. And if we're talking about a family legacy, he's already broken that, hasn't he? Because he lives in hostility 
toward all the people related to him. He drops the baton, and we really don't hear much about him uh, for a while at least. So Abraham, the father who's given the promise, and God makes a covenant with him, and there's Ishmael, but then there's the child of the promise, Isaac. And Isaac, in a very real way, the baton is handed off to him, and he carries the baton. And Isaac's family, um, we've read something about him already. He marries Rebecca, and he wants to carry on the family legacy. And Rebecca turns out, turns out to be barren. And so God, uh, Isaac asked God for Rebecca to have a child. And they waited, and they prayed, and they waited, and they prayed for five years. And they waited, and they prayed for another five years. And they waited and they prayed for another five years. Now, you might be getting tired of praying at that point, 15 years. But they waited and they prayed. And after 20 years, Rebecca becomes pregnant. Now, what if they had quit praying after 19 years? We might not be having this sermon at all today. You might say, well, that would be a good thing, but... Um, <coughs> but actually, after 20 years, Rebecca becomes pregnant, and as we saw, pregnant with twins who struggled in the womb, Jacob and Esau. And the first of those guys that was born, the first baby, was Esau. And Esau, uh, they had said, had red hair, and, and actually, they've they've located some archaeological um, description of Esau, and it looks like this. <laughs> With apologies to Sesame Street. Um, Elmo. Esau, Elmo, you know, both had red hair. Um, and then Jacob whose name means heel grabber, and sorry, I don't have any picture of him. But Esau and Jacob, twin brothers, same parents, same love, same daily life, and they were as different as night and day. Interestingly, Scripture tells us that Isaac loved Esau, and Esau was an outdoor kid. You know, he, he was rough and ready and, and uh, red-haired, and, and he was ready to go at a moment's notice on camping trips and hunting trips and whatever. You know, he was an outdoor kind of guy, and, uh, and he loved it. And Isaac loved Jake, uh, Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob, who was a stay-at-home kind of kid. And uh, 
learn the finer arts of keeping the home nice, I guess. Certainly learned how to cook. Um, and so Rebecca loved Jacob. Twin boys, and I'll talk more about their parenting style in, in, in a few minutes, but Isaac loved Esau, outdoor kind of kid. Rebecca loved Jacob, stay-at-home kind of kid. And Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. And then we have this interesting conversation or event that took place some years later. I, I always assumed maybe they were teenagers, mid to late teenagers at that point. I don't know. doesn't tell us for sure. But it says, once when Jacob was cooking stew. Now, I've never cooked stew in my life. Uh, my, I have a brother, though, who, when he was 12 years old, cooked Thanksgiving dinner, including the turkey. Um, we were different as night and day. Um, once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field. And that's a mistake in, in the... That, that's my mistake. It, it should say Esau. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field. So it's, he wasn't a twin with himself. <coughs> uh, he says, I'm famished. I could eat a horse. Or I could eat whatever you're cooking. So feed me, brother. And brother says, brother Jacob says, first sell me your birthright. Sell me your birthright. Hmm. And Esau, who was, among other things, maybe an exaggerator. Um, and if you've ever been an exaggerator, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. I'm so tired I could sleep for days. I'm so... Whatever, I could do this. And I think Esau was given to exaggeration. I'm famished. What good is the birthright to me? I'm about to die if I don't eat. Well, let's think about what the birthright was. Remember, Abraham, by this point, had been massively wealthy. He had accumulated lands and servants and family and money and position, and power. He was the guy. And in the birthright for the firstborn, which was Esau, two-thirds of the inheritance would go to the firstborn. And two-thirds of a massive amount is still a massive amount. And so Jacob says, I'll give you some stew, but sell me your birthright. What good is a birthright to me? No, I'd rather have soup. Have you ever made choices and not thought about the consequences? <coughs> 
Well, Brent never has, but I have, and most of us at one point or another have made seemingly inconsequential choices or consequential choices that, that indeed had great consequences. Now, I'd rather have soup than inherit all two-thirds of what my father has. And more importantly, not only was he giving up the birthright, but think about the faith birthright of that Isaac was passing on. And just as an example of this, there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And 2,000 years later, Jesus comes along from that same lineage. Did they carry the baton? Absolutely. But if you drop the baton, as Esau did, you have Abraham, Isaac, Esau, and 2,000 years later, a direct descendant of Esau is King Herod, who killed the babies when Jesus was born. As different as night and day. Did that one choice have consequences? It did for Esau, but it also did for thousands of years later. Our choices often have lasting or eternal consequences. Too often we, 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 we choose something which, because we, we just want it right then and not thinking about the consequences that will result in all of that. Broken relationships, broken marriages, awful things can happen. And that's true for parents, too. I, you know, one of the things that occurred to me as I was working on all of this was here's Isaac and Rebecca playing favorites with their sons. Isaac loved Esau. Rebecca loved Jacob. Did that influence them differently? Could it have turned out differently? Obviously, we don't know, but it's worth thinking about, isn't it? You know, I, I had three children, and someone would sometimes ask, well, which of them is your favorite? And my appropriate response was yes. <laughs> How can you choose? And yet some parents do. And it makes a difference and it has consequences. And so here we have Jacob and Esau, adult children who are, res or at least in their teens or so at that point, but adult children are responsible for their own decisions. And they, those decisions often determine whether they will carry or drop the baton as far as the family legacy is concerned.
And interestingly, Esau marries outside the faith. And in chapter 26 of Genesis, it says that Esau and his wife Judith were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. He dropped the baton, marries outside the faith. And 2,000 years later, King Herod, the killer of children, uh, comes along. Now, Jacob is not without his faults. Um, when his father was growing old and ready to give the, the, the blessing, which was a huge thing, when a father gave the blessing to, the, to his offspring, that was a huge thing. It was often uh, self-fulfilling prophecy as well. And so Isaac's eyes are getting bad and he wants to bless his boys. And Rebekah is in cahoots with Jacob and she tells Jacob to go put some animal fur on so that he feels like Esau. And he pretends to be Esau and he gets the blessing which was meant for the older boy. So he steals Esau's blessing. Now, let me just give you a, 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 a little rundown of what happens next in these next several chapters that you're going to read faithfully this week, uh, 25 through 31, since you'll be ready for Brent's sermon next week. But Jacob, after deceiving his father and cheating his brother, Jacob flees for his life and goes to live with Rebekah's brother, Laban. So he goes to live with his uncle. And while he's there, while he's on his way, he has a dream at Bethel. You can read about that in chapter 28. And in the dream, God says to Jacob, God will give you, you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the east and the west and the north and the south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done all that I have promised you. And so Jacob finally gets to, with that dream fresh in his mind, he, he gets to his uncle Laban's and he offers to work for his uncle Laban, especially when he sees Rachel whom he wants to marry. Beautiful young woman, the younger of two sisters of Laban. And Laban says, if you work for me for seven years, you can marry Rachel. And so he does. And the next morning, when the light of day comes, he realizes that he's married Leah, the older sister, instead. And Laban says, well, I can't marry my younger daughter off before the older daughter is married. So if you'll work for another seven years, you can have Rachel too. And so it's a long 14-year story. Um, <clears throat> and ultimately, um, he, he does marry Rachel. 
and uh, you'll learn more about that as uh, from Brent next week. But uh, finally, after 20 years <coughs> of living with and working for Laban and marrying his daughters, plural, um, because he's such a successful, he's so successful at farming and all of that, and Laban's sons are getting jealous of, of how God is blessing um, blessing Jacob. Jacob pleads for his life again, um, and he finally makes uh, finally Laban and his boys finally catch up with him, and and at Mizpah. Uh, there's a prayer that said, and when I was a kid, whenever we were in youth group or something, we always ended up the, the meeting with, may the Lord watch between me and thee while we are absent one from another. Amen. Um, well, that prayer comes from this meeting with Laban and Jacob at Mizpah. May the Lord watch between me and you when we are away from each other so that we don't cheat each other is really what it's talking about. And, and it's, it's you know, entrusting God to make sure you keep your promises. Um, so all of that then is continued and there's still more to this story. But when we think about the family legacy, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the baton is, is passed each time, but there's others involved who drop the baton so we come to the way I usually end up sermons, uh, which is YBSW. Yeah, but so what? You know, we've looked at a 4,000-year-old story. Really? And that's supposed to have some significance for us today? Yeah, but so what? So I want to, for my yeah, but so what today, I want us to think about five words. Uh, which I think talk about the significance of the story, not only for that generation, but for us as well. So five words, and the first word is grace. God's riches at Christ's expense is the acronym, if you want to remember it that way, but it's the unmerited favor of God. Why did God call Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, because God called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Was there anything special about them that, that, that said they should be called and not anybody else? We don't know, you know, we don't know God's mind in that, but it looks to us that they were just ordinary folks that God said, I've got a call on your life. And what I am convinced of and what I know for sure is that God has a call in your life because you are so darn good or not. God has a call on your life because God has a call on your life uh, because God loves you because you're so, no, no, because every one of us, if we're honest, we're not all that good all the time. Uh, you know, we, especially if you include your thoughts. Uh, you're, you know, that, that you don't speak to anybody else, but you still have grace because God, in fact, the Scripture tells us 
God so loved all of us that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why? Because we're so good? No, because we needed God so much and because God did. And that's called grace. And so the first word in the Yabbat so what is grace. The second word is faith. For whatever reason, Abraham, when God called him in Genesis chapter 12, the first three verses, um, he took God at his word and he left his home and he left the things that were familiar. The first class that I took when I was in, in Asbury Seminary was a, uh, an English Bible class on the Pentateuch. And I remember Bob, Bob Trainer, Robert Trainer, the, the uh, very well-known professor of the class. Uh, one day, he read those four verses from chapter, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, where God calls Abraham, and then verse 4, where Abraham left and, and went as God told him. And he taught for an hour. Bob Trainer taught for an hour about the implications that we can draw from the action of, of verse 4 to the, verse, verse, the first three verses. And he ultimately said, Abraham had faith. The only thing that would make a man late in, late in years in his life leave everything that was familiar to him was faith. For some reason, God instilled faith in him and, and he responded. And so Abraham was a man of faith and Isaac was a man of faith and Jacob was a man of faith. Now, were they perfect? Absolutely not. They were like you and me. Uh, Abraham does... Uh, things that, that weren't wonderful. Uh, Isaac did things that weren't wonderful. Jacob did things that weren't wonderful. But they acted on faith. And God still calls us because of God's grace and God still wants us to act by faith. You might say, well, I don't have enough faith. Jesus said if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. God calls us to be people of faith. Grace, faith. The third word that I want us to think about today is choice. Um, in the yeah, but so what? Choice, do, do choices make a difference? Yeah. Yeah, they do. And uh, every one of us, I suspect, and Scott Purdom for sure, has made bad choices that have con lasting consequences. Um, but I've also made good choices. And one of the good choices was ultimately trusting God and marrying Lori and, and uh, coming to this church where God led me. But every day we are faced with choices. How are you going to spend your time? How are you going to spend your money? How are you going to parent your children? How are you going to make your way in life? How are you going to treat the people around you? How are you going to treat the, the obnoxious driver who's going way below the speed limit in front of you? 
And what thoughts are you going to have about that person? How are you going to live out your life? Do choices make a difference? Absolutely. The fourth word is baton. Um, what is the baton that's being offered to you and are you going to take the baton and hand it off to the next generation? Or are you going to drop it? The good news is that even when we drop the baton, God is still the God of grace and faith. And he's got, an, an, he's got an ample supply of batons. If you've dropped one, he can offer you another one. And that's good news. And the last word for our yeah, but so what is legacy. Um, how, are, how are you going to be remembered uh, in regards to your faith and life of faith and grace and choice and baton and all of those things. God is a God who gives us second choices or second chances. Um, and, and even imperfect people like me and you, God still calls you. And it's a powerful thing. You are a people of faith that God has called by name and he calls you to live out your life from this day forward as people of faith and it makes a difference. And my prayer today is that you are a people of faith, that each of you is a person of faith. But if you're not, it is not too late God has another baton for you to pick up. God still has things for you to do, and he offers you a new start even today. And if you, if you want a new start, I encourage you to, to have prayer today with God, with the God of, of love and joy and peace and, and grace and faith and choice and so much more. Uh, if you'd like to have prayer up here uh, with uh, myself or, or one of the pastors or one of the part of the staff that come up, uh, we invite you to come up and have prayer. Uh, but remember that God has chosen you. God loves you. He's called you to live out a life of faith. And may God do that individually for you. May God do that for this church. May we be a church of faith and love and action. And let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you. Thank you that even when we make bad choices, you, uh, as long as we are alive, you hold out your call to us. And uh, you are offering us the baton to, to pick it up and to carry it on and pass it on to the next generation. It's not too late for any of us to do that, Lord. So we ask that you would help us to be people of faith and love and joy. Bless us and keep us in your care. And if this is the day that you want us to start over again, then I invite you to meet people as we pray to you uh, individually. Be with us, we pray.
and keep keep us all in your care. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. <laughs>